Welcome to the Crux Podcast and Sermon of the Week. For more information about the Crux Ministries and Summit Church, please visit us at summitsanmarcos.com. Tonight, we are doing the next message in our relationship series. Have you guys liked the relationship series we've done? We've covered dating, we've covered marriage, we've covered a whole bunch of stuff. It's been great. And so tonight, we are doing a message on purity. hey This message, uh, last year... Uh, last year, I just I just went for it last year, and uh, there was a, you can look on the Crux cast, there's st- it's still up there, it's called Healthy Sexuality, and uh, I remember when I put it up there, uh, Dominic was just like, wow, you're going for it, all right, because I remember uh, a moment, guys, when I, I used to feel so, like, awkward about it, like, oh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to be the one to have to talk about it, right, but then I felt the Lord so clearly, this was for my youth kids, he said, if you're not going to tell them, who will? Because their parents, a lot of the parents aren't saved. They go to a secular school. He's like, it's literally your job to talk to them about it. So I'm like, all right, rip off the Band-Aid. Here we go. And I just went for it. And then that came over into Crux when I took over Crux as well. And uh, it's been an area that I've seen God bring so much freedom, so much healing, and and just so much restoration. So I really believe he's going to do it tonight. So often when we hear purity messages, uh, it's very almost condemning. And my goal, the Lord gave me tonight, I said, bring a message that's refreshing, okay? And so I'm praying that this is an area that that you feel empowered in, encouraged in, and refreshed in, okay? Um, but it's going to get real, and I'm just going to be real candid, okay? Is that cool? We're a family here. Can we do that? You guys in the front row, you're like, okay, yeah, sure. <laughs> so you're ready. You're ready. But hey, first... I have a story for you guys. If you've been here long, you know I tell stories, right? And so this one actually has Dominic and I in it from back with, uh, we were in high school. We had an opportunity where him and I went to Europe together in high school. And we, were, we went all over in Europe. And there was moments when we were, you're like, what story are you about to share? Right? We had a lot of experiences in Europe. But there's these moments, and Emily knows, so she's not, I'm not talking about those. All right, so. It's safe, another, another time, all right? So anyway, there's Dominic would come up to me and I'd have these serene moments where I'd be looking at like a castle in Europe or I'd be looking at a sunset and it was the most beautiful moment. All I wanted was quiet to like try to take it in and photograph it, you know, kind of in your memory. I'm like, Lord, don't let me ever forget this. But in those moments, all of a sudden I'd feel a hand come on my shoulder and I would just hear, these are the moments we will remember for the rest of our lives. And I don't remember any of those moments. I just have, I remember just looking in the, the memory of the thing is gone. And I remember just looking at Dominic and he's like, these are the moments we're going to remember for the rest of our lives. I'm like, I do remember those moments, but I don't even remember what I was trying to remember, right? And so while we were there, though, one thing I do remember was we went on top of this mountain and we went sledding and we were going down. It was up in the Alps. We were sledding like up in the Alps. It was so epic. And there was this part where you go down on these little sleds and then there was this uh, big wall, right? And so you kind of go up and then come back down. The wall was real tall because it was meant so that you don't go over the cliff, right? So we being a bunch of men though, we were like, let's see, you can go highest up on the wall. And then what we did is we're like, we're not getting high enough. So let's chain. And so we'd do two people and we'd go a little bit higher. And then we said, oh, let, let's do three people. We'd go a little bit higher, right? And then finally said, let's get all the men. And we had like 12 men chained and we just bombed the mountain, chained on these sleds. And we went up all the way to the top. I was the guy, I was second. And my friend Jake was in first, right? He was the guy on the front. We went all the way to the top 
And he went up and he started to go over the edge. And I went over the edge and I could see it was just a sheer cliff. Yeah, I don't want to say sheer cliff of a thousand feet. And Jake goes over and he just starts like freaking out. And I immediately just grab him and pull back. And all, all the men, we went up and then all 12 of us just like fell. Because we started to go over and then we got pulled. And we all just fell and collapsed. And I ripped this big hole in my jacket. To this day, there's still stitches up in my jacket. All right. And, and Jake was laying on the ground. And he was just like. I almost died, right? Like, I almost died, right? And it, and it was great. All, and all the men were like, all right, we found the limit. No, 12 is too many, right? And so anyway, this is the story I was reminded of when we are talking about purity. Uh, because so often with purity, a lot of times we think purity is just not having sex before marriage. That's it. We think that's the cliff. As long as I'm not on the cliff, I'm fine, right? And so we push it and we're like, oh, I didn't fall. I was good, right? And then we add one more thing. Hey, let me see if I can go a little bit further. Let me see if I can go a little bit further. Let me see if I can get a little bit further. And then all of a sudden there's a moment where it's just like, Okay, I'm falling off the cliff. Don't even know how this happened, right? And if you don't, you need a good community to be able to like, I got you, come back, right? Otherwise, if you're doing it alone, you're just going off that cliff, right? And then so many people are, are like, I don't know, I just fell into sexual sin. And it's like, you didn't fall in it. You had a, a habit of pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, right? Till you went over. It's like Jake being like, I don't understand what happened. We just went down the hill, and then, oh, I was off the cliff. <laughs> like, it's like, no, you intentionally built up this habit of putting more and more and more you know, weight on it to take it further, right? And so uh, tonight, I wanted to talk about what are those things that we can do to go the other way? Why is purity important? What, what's the purpose of it? Not just because it's a sin, don't do it. No, like, what's, what God, what's God's heart behind it, you know? And so... We're going to take a look at that tonight, okay? So 1 Corinthians 6.18, uh, it says this, run from sexual sin, exclamation point. So it's like more like run from sexual sin. No other sin. So he literally puts it in another category. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual morality is a sin against your own body. It's the only one I know of in the Bible where he says, this is a sin against me and yourself. You're actually sinning against yourself. And he puts it in its separate category. And he says, run from this one, right? And so the question is, why? You know, what, why, and all that stuff, okay? That's 1 Corinthians 6, 18, okay? All right. If we're honest, most of us, guys, in one way or another, we have some kind of a shaky foundation for what sexuality is. We basically, it's from our upbringing, how we were exposed, what we learned, things like that. And there's three different areas. If you guys are ever want to learn more about this and get God's heart behind it, Moral Revolution, um, they're kind of this organization. Go to that website. They're so good at talking through this stuff. They give this. They say there's three different environments that we usually grow up learning uh, sexuality in. The first one is called, they call it the silent environment. And picture like a house where every door in the house is open except for one. Mom and dad's master bedroom, shut, locked, don't know where the key is. You've never seen it open in your entire life, right? And there's just, there's just this mystery. What's behind there? Some kind of crazy mystery. I have no idea what's behind the door, right? And then you talk to your parents, and they're like, what door? I don't know what door you're talking about. 
You go to church, hey, we have this door, and the church is like, no, 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 there's no door in your parents' house. No, no, there's no door, right? And you grow up in this just, this silence, right? And what that represents is this silence for your parents' sex life or sexuality or whatever that is, where there's a family like, we just don't talk about it. And you, you learn as a child that, okay, so maybe sex is a part of life, but you do not talk about it. Like, it's awkward, don't talk about it. And then the problem is now you learn all these things of who you can't go to, but there's a curiosity in every single person. So then they start to look, well, what does my, what do my friends say? Or what, what did the movie say? Or, or what to, because they never learned it in the home. So that's kind of the first one there. A second one is the saturated environment. So the saturated environment, it's just the opposite. It's like the door hinges were taken off the door and it was removed. It's like, it's like, there ain't no privacy in here. There, there is, and there's no mystery, right? And this is the household where there's just sexuality. It's, it's like crude joking all the time. Uh, you grow up watching movies where there's just like sexual content in it. You're, you're constantly, it's almost seen as just like not a big deal at all. Like it's just, it's another part of life. Who cares? And to where the importance and the sacredness of it totally gets downplayed. And the, the consequences are, are that you grow up thinking, well, it's just like, I don't know, like, who cares, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. Just feels good, whatever. Doesn't mean anything. But then the problem is you get older and you don't understand. You, you start to just sleep around with whoever because who cares, right? And then your heart gets completely and utterly destroyed. You don't understand why you can't get over this person. You don't understand why. And there's just all this connection because God designed it to make you one and it's sacred and holy. So it's too far the other way. Then the other one right in the middle, this is probably more where I grew up. This is the conflicted environment, okay? This is kind of like the door swings open and then shuts in your face and then swings open and then shuts in your face. So basically, this is imagine the, that door, right? And it's kind of like you get a glimpse in and you're like, what's going on there? Slam, right? And so basically, it's this idea where you hear it in church or your family or whoever where they advertise sex as just like, Oh, it's amazing. It's wonderful. It's the best thing ever. I can't, you know, you're going to love it. But don't you dare think about it until the day you're married. Or else, if you're even curious, you have a perverted mind, you know. But the day you get married, it's going to be the best thing in the world. And you're going to have an amazing time. And don't worry about it. You'll figure it out when you get there. But if you figure it out too soon, don't you ever, right? And it's just this, like, confusing, like, what the heck, right? And this is how my school really was and my family was because it was kind of like, when you're married, it's great and we can talk about it. But until then, don't you even question it, right? And so, and the consequences once again is it creates this like, I'm just gotta, I just gotta white knuckle, hold on until I get married. And then when I get married, everything's gonna be like uh, the most amazing thing in my entire life, right? And it's like this weird thing. And they, the team, the moral revolution team, they say the, the conflict classically arises when we get married and then we walk through that door only to realize that sex does not start as a magical euphoric experience. And then we're taken aback, confused. We're hurt that it wasn't everything we were told it would be. Sometimes there's even shame involved from a sudden transition of it being bad and forbidden to good and expected. And I've talked to a lot of friends who got married and they struggled with almost like this guilt because they're like, my whole life I was taught this was evil and then now all of a sudden it's supposed to be amazing and what do I do, right? And 
That's not the answer either. The, the real answer is that we have to be able, God opened the door. We're the ones who shut it, right? And so God opened the door and we have to be able to look through it, right? But ask questions to good, godly counsel. Ask for God's heart behind it. It's not a slam door, right? But we also understand the sacredness and the holiness behind it, right? And so what we're gonna do tonight, and I just feel kind of as like the dad of this house, I wanna open the door and be like, let's talk about this okay, in a safe environment and in a good way, right? Some of you, you can already tell what environment you are in, where if some of you are like, yeah, whatever, no big deal. You're probably saturated. Some people are like, ah, squirming. You're probably in the silent. Some people are you're like, I don't know if this is good or not. I'm excited, but that's bad to be excited. You're probably in the conflicted zone, right? So whatever you're feeling right now will show what door you probably grew up in, okay? So, right? Because I already saw it. Some people are like, other people are like, talking about this tonight, right? And so, yeah, yeah, we are. All right, here we go. So Mark 10, 6, okay? It says this, however, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. So the idea that you can have casual sex with someone goes completely against the Bible. He says, no, that, that, you become one flesh again, right? And nothing can separate that. And so from a Christian perspective, that should be enough right there, right? But what I love is that science is actually catching up with the Bible. And so I wanted to show you the other sides of it. Any kind of sexual activity that takes place releases chemicals within your brain. And I'm talking everything from like any like sexual either contact, but even looking at pornography or even fantasizing. There's certain chemicals to a degree start to get released within your brain, more or less, depending on what's going on, okay? For women, the primary hormone is oxytocin, okay? Oxytocin, it's a, it's a bonding hormone, okay? And it allows women women to bond to significant people in their life. It says it eases stress, but it creates a calm and a closeness, which leads to an increase of trust. So when this hormone gets released in the, the woman's brain, it creates a, I can trust you, right? Okay. And it says it causes her to want to nurture and protect the one that she's bonded to. So it creates a, I need to take care of you, nurture you, you know, protect you. I trust you. This is what's going on chemically, whether you want it to or not. This is what's released in your brain. For men, it's primarily the hormone vasopressin. And they call vasopressin the commitment hormone. It's also nicknamed the monogamy molecule, right? And so the hormone, it actually generates a desire for commitment and loyalty. And it actually, in men, it creates a protective sense and a jealousy, so what it is, is when that's released in their brain, whatever memory it's bonded to, it specifically says, be jealous for this one, protect this one, like, no matter what, protect, you're committed to this one, right? So this is what science even knows and shows us is going on in our brains during sexual activity. Endorphins, as well as are released, endorphins are also known as happy hormones. They make you feel good, right? And it says they're highly addictive, and they, they tell you you want to experience this again and again. So there's something that goes off in your brain that says do this again in the future. Do this again in the future, okay? But the thing is about this is that they're called, all these hormones are called value neutral. And what that means is that whether it's a one-time, one-night stand encounter with someone or whether you've been married 30 years, the same amount is released in your brain. Your body cannot tell the difference and be like, you don't know this person very well, don't release it, right? It, it just can't. 
You, your body can't say, like, you don't really love them. It's, you know, you're all, you've barely got to know. Your body can't do that. Society tells you, but your body literally tells you the opposite. Your, your chemicals in your brain are telling you the opposite, saying, no, 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 bond with this person, connect with this person, protect this person, monogamy molecule going out, right? And this is what's going on in the chemicals in your brain. So your body, contra- your body releases chemicals that directly contradict this idea of casual sex, right? and fulfill what the Bible says. The two are becoming one because both brains are saying this is the one for you, right? So in marriage, these are extremely motivating and really, really helpful. You know, uh, God in his wisdom, he created this on purpose because he knows there's going to be days where you're like, I love them, they're amazing. There's other days where you're like, what have I done? I, I can't, I, you're, I don't even want to be in the room with you right now, you know? And so, he created these hormones that go off inside of you that override whatever's going on and say, no, you're committed, you're loyal, you protect them, you love them, you're with them, right? That go off and they're in, in your brain because there's gonna be moments when life is tough and these hormones are gonna remind you, you're committed, you're committed, you're committed. These are really good things, right? Uh, one, so one of the many byproducts this is from the More Revolution team. They say one of the many byproducts of sex is that each time it strengthens the team aspect of your marriage. In essence, it is designed to be a spiritual, physical, and emotional bond. The outcome of that creates a sense of us against the world, not, not in a destructive way, but in a sense that we are in this thing together. This thing called life, we're in it together, right? Each time you have sex, it renews your covenant, you are physically and emotionally recommitting to your spouse and saying that they are the one and only one for you, the only one that will know you this way. And so in a marriage, every time you have sex, it's actually like renewing your vows chemically in your mind. It redumps it back in. This is the one you've committed to, right? So in marriage, that's fantastic. Outside of marriage, this will destroy your life, right? So outside of marriage, your body doesn't know the difference, Okay? You can say, I know the difference. You can say, my heart knows the difference. But chemically, you're wrong. Like, if you go to any, like, you can just see your body's telling you the exact opposite. And, and so sex actually causes emotionally, physically, psychologically marry to somebody. And then what happens is when the relationship bonds and then breaks, and then bonds and then breaks, and then bonds and then breaks... After a while, it's like walking around on a broken leg that you've broken a million times over and it cannot carry the weight of anything because it hurts so bad, right? Because, and then what happens is when you're actually finally in marriage, your own psyche, your own body doesn't trust you anymore because you've bonded and broken and bonded and broken and bonded and broken. And what happens is it gets a dullness and a numbness in your emotions and your psychology with someone. And then when you finally do marry someone, your body says it's just, it's just like all the others. And then so when a commitment comes and weight tries to get put on that, it's, it's really hard. And commitment to stay in the marriage is way harder. Because these hormones, actually, they, they do something called crystallizing of your memories. So what happens is the sexual memory that happened, these hormones go off and actually tell your brain, do not forget this memory and they crystallize it, right? Other memories don't do that. And so why? Because once again, you'll forget all the bad stuff with your spouse, but those good memories, boom, will be locked in your brain. So what happens is that when you have that with all these different people, then you're finally married, you have all these crystallized memories with everyone, right? 
Psychologists found that couples who waited until after their wedding night rated that the stability of their relationship was actually 22% higher, right, than those who did not wait. So there's more stability if you waited. It said also that those who practiced abstinence found that they had a 20% increased level of relational satisfaction. They were happier with their relationship. It says this as well, just another statistic, that the ones who were absent, 15% said that they actually had an improved uh, sex life and sexual quality. So basically they were saying our sex life is better. They were reporting better than those who never waited. Why? Because once again, they're happier because they only have those bondings with one person. Whereas everyone else, they have all these bondings and there's all this comparison and all these crystallized memories. And then what happens is the quality of actual their sex life is lower, right? And so, so the question is, if God made sex so important, so sacred, so valuable, so right, that thing, my question for God all the time is why did you give me a sex drive now? And then say, but you can't do anything with it for like however long, right? I, I, turned, to, I turned 28 soon, so it's like 10 years after high school, right? And so, so it's like one of those things where God's like, this is amazing, it's awesome, it's great, and here you go, and it's inside of you. You can't do anything with it. Right? And I'm like, that seems like a weird and cruel and unusual punishment. And I'm just like, God, why? Why do you do this? Right? And I have, I don't know about you, but I, I just have very raw prayers with God. And I have prayed, God, just take my sex drive away. Just unplug it all. Right? And then the day I say I do, just plug it all back in. Right? And just like with interest, you know, give it back, Lord. Right? But that, that's like, like, like have it rage on fire when I get married. But until that day, Lord, can you just turn it, dial it all down? Right? I don't know about you, but these are my prayers to God sometimes. Right? And, but the thing is, guys, is that God gives you a sex drive before you're married on purpose. He does it on purpose. He wanted you to learn how to steward it and to take care of it. He's not mad at you for having it. He actually gave it to you. There's no shame in having a desire for sex, right? He, gave, he actually gave you that desire, and he said it was a good thing, right? But I love this, this quote from that same team. When God gave you your sex drive, he had a plan. He knew that it would take self-control and patience to manage. He knew it would require you to grow in all the other fruits of the Spirit. He said, because it's going to make you have to learn to love yourself. It's going to give you joy and peace in the waiting. Yeah, that's it. Perfect. If you can put it right there. Kindness towards yourself and others, good choices, faithfulness as you trust him. He knew that you would not be able to do it without him, and that's why it's good. You guys see, Romans eleven twenty nine. it says that the gifts of God are irrevocable. A sex drive was given from God as a gift to you to bless your future marriage, which means it's irrevocable. He's not taking it away. So you're like, Lord, please. He's like, can't, sorry. You're just gonna literally have to learn to deal with it, you know? Because what it is, is it's going to build you a character that you will need in your marriage, right? Lust will not disappear the minute you get married. Sorry. So many people think that, right? They think the minute I get married, all my problems are solved. I have an outlet for my sex life. So that means there's no issues anymore. And I'm sorry, but every single, I've had so many good friends get married, right? And 
a large portion of them have called me back even a month after marriage and said, dude, I'm struggling with lust and I feel so much shame and I feel so horrible because I'm married now. Why am I still struggling with this, right? And they all said that their lust issue actually got worse after marriage, not better, right? And I've heard this from so many men and women, right? And so why? Because there's a sex drive inside of you that for our lives, we have just been shutting down, right? You have this, and I said it last year, I'll say it again. You have a bear, like, sex drive inside of you, right? Well, last year we just called it, you've got this, like, sex bear inside of you. This, this drive, right, inside of you. And you have been starving this poor dude your entire life, locking him in a cage, right? And then basically what happens is on your wedding night, the cage opens, and it's allowed to come out, Right? And then what happened is you never learned how to control him. You never trained him, and he's ravenous, right? And basically, then you're like, why is my lust going through the roof? Because you never learned how to control your sex drive, and now it's allowed to come out, and it doesn't want to go back in the cage, right? And you have to learn to control it, right? It's a funny analogy, but it's true. It's totally true, right? Because what happens is when you get married, you're like, oh, why, why is this so hard? You woke the bear, right? And it's like, you are actually feeding your sex drive now. And that's why it gets harder. And you're like, what's going on? And you don't need to feel shame about it. You need to once again, train it and steward it and give it to God, right? You will have to train and control that thing, right? So that he doesn't eat everything in sight, pretty much. Train it now while you're single, so that when you get married, it doesn't become an issue, right? Because it will, and you will have to learn to overcome it. And if you never learn to overcome it now, you won't know then. But if you got him trained, and he's coming out okay, he starts going away, and you whistle, you're like, hey. he's like, oh. Right? And then you can be like, come here, come back, come back. No, no, not here. He's like, oh, not here? No, not here. Okay. All right, right? Because you got him trained. But if you don't have him trained, he ain't listening to you. You got to train him now, right? Okay. The... <laughs> Told you to get real, guys. You just got to rip the Band-Aid off, man. You got to get real. I've got no shame anymore. I just literally said this to a room of like 100 high schoolers. So, I mean, this is great. This is family time, right? All right, here we go. So, this is biblical. Song of Solomon 8.4 says, Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. Don't wake the bear, okay, right? God gives you, a, you have a sex drive now, and then he tells you don't have sex yet so you can build that muscle, build that character, build that integrity to be faithful during your marriage. He gave you it now on purpose so you could learn to control it, steward it, train it, right? And what happens is so many people, they never learn how to do it. They never learn how to control that part of them. And it actually ends up ruining their marriage and their future life. So as singleness, they just give in to lust. They just give in to fantasies, give in to pornography, whatever it is, right? Then what happens is when they get married, there's a moment where your husband, your wife, they're allowed to say no. And you're like, oh, what? No, right? And if you never learned how to say no, you won't be able to then. And then so many people, they turn to pornography they turn to affairs, they turn to an adultery, and it ends up ruining their marriage. How do I know this is a problem? Well, statistics, there's a, a thing that was, uh, it's a long, uh, the National Coalition for the Protection of Children and Families, right? They said Christians who struggle with pornography in their marriage, 47%. Wow. 
half of all marriages struggle with pornography. That tells me they never learned how to control it. And now they're trying to find a way to get that comfort even while in marriage. It says that if you look at pornography, it says that the marital infidelity rate increased by 300%. So the likelihood of infidelity in your marriage, if you look at pornography, you give into that lust, you give those things now, and it carries into your marriage, 300% increase. 40% of people who say that they're addicted to sex, right? So they say they, they can't help it, they can't say no, they, you know, they, all this stuff. 40% of them lose their spouses. Almost half of them. It says 58% of them, so over half, suffer a considerable financial loss. Why? Because they never built up the integrity. And that carries in other areas of your life. About a third of them lose their careers and their jobs. Why? Like I said, they never learned how to train it. And, and they didn't teach themselves character in that one area, which means they don't have character in all these other areas they need to say no to as well. And their families suffer for it. Their lives suffer for it. So it's, a, it's important. You have to go back to what you learned when you were single walking out purity. So now is the time, guys. Build it now. So this, thank you guys for getting this. This is something that I remember when I was actually in uh, junior high. My youth pastor did this with me, and it always stuck with me. He said, hey, this here, this is your heart. This is your heart. This is what God has given you. This is entrusted to you, and this is meant to be given to your spouse one day. And what happens is a lot of times we open this up. Does anyone want a piece of candy? Anyone? Right. So we open this up, and we start giving this out to people, what was meant to be given to our spouse. And we open it up, and we say, hey, I can't control my yes or my no, right? And I just do whatever I want. Yes, anyone. <laughs> No, this is your first kiss. I'm not, I'm not throwing it over there, all right? right? And then you're like, so there's my first kiss. And then you're like, oh, and this is the first time I went further with somebody, second base or whatever you want to call it, right? And then and eventually you just say, you know what? And then I'm going to give my virginity away. And you just pop, dump it all out. And then what happens is wedding day comes and you come to your, your, your spouse and you just say, hey, here's all my firsts. For you. And it's my heart, it's beautiful, it's good, you chose it, I'm thankful, but here's all, here's my first. And it's heartbreaking, you know? And I remember my youth pastor sharing that with me, and it, it just stuck me. I said, God, I, I was in seventh grade. I said, God, I wanna, I wanna give my wife everything. I I wanna, I wanna go up to her and give her. A full box. And luckily, guys, oh man, we have a God of redemption. We have a God of healing. Because what, what happens is this, it's empty. And then where it was, we, we take this. And what should have been a prize given to our spouse, it's empty. And it actually becomes rocks and thorns. And it becomes weights. Because it's hurt. And it's broken. And Rather than giving a gift to my spouse, I give all this baggage now to. Because what was once a gift now is a hurt and it's a weight. And so like I said, though, we have a God, if you will give him your purity, if you will actually not just say, I'm not going to, I'm just going to deal with it my own. If you give God 
your purity, if you give God your sex life, if you give God your sex drive, we believe and we know that he can make an exchange and he can give you a completely new heart again. And maybe he can't go back and change that past from happening, but he, those crystallized memories, he can break them down. He's done it in my life and in other people I know. He can break down these memories, you know? He, he can actually go and he can renew your heart again. He can go and he can remove the, the pain and the rocks and the thorns. He can pull them out of your heart and he can actually replace them once again with gifts. He can give you like a virgin mindset again. He can give you a virgin heart once again. He can make you clean once again so that when you finally, when you do get married and you have the one, you can say, yeah, before I really knew Jesus and I messed up and that was my heart and I gave that away, yes, but, but Jesus healed me, restored me, and I have a wholeness and 100% once again, and I can give you this as a blessing. It's not, it's not hurtful to remember this. It's actually a gift for you now once again, and he can completely restore you back if you give it to him. If you let go of those weights, that pain, those memories you give in Jesus, you let him restore you. He can do it once again. Doesn't, doesn't matter if it was recent or 10 years ago or whatever. If you don't deal with it, it's gonna stay empty and you're gonna hand your spouse rocks. But if you deal with it with Jesus, he can restore it completely new once again. Right. And so can I give you guys a couple quick, just practical things? Now you have this new heart, and we're going to take a moment to pray in a little bit for just new hearts all over the place, right? But a, a couple, you get that new heart. How do you continue to walk in it? How do you continue to stay pure? Number one is this. you got to believe the cross is enough. You have to believe the cross is enough. Is the cross enough for your struggle with lust? Is it enough to give you a completely newness again? Is the cross enough? to heal your past. Is the cross enough? Are you just going to struggle with lust forever? Struggle with pornography addiction forever? Or is the cross enough to break that addiction? You have to get your number one. The cross is enough to heal and conquer this area of my life. Number two is you got to know your yes. A lot of times people think purity is a bunch of no's. They think purity is all about no's. Purity is actually all about a yes. It, I say no to all these things because I'm saying yes to one woman. I'm not married yet, but my yes to her, my yes to my future family, my yes to the success of my future marriage, my yes, that's why I say no now. When you get married, you say no to like a few billion people because you have one yes, right? And that yes is always stronger than the no. A purity is about saying yes, not. If your only reason for not having sex before marriage, if your only reason for no pornography, if your only reason is like, well, it's a sin, that is such a bad, like, it should be enough, but a no is never going to protect you. You have to know God say no because he wants you to have the yes, right? If you're only just like, oh, I'm, I, it's just, it's bad, it's bad. That's not going to get you anywhere. You have to get a strong, I know my yes. I'm saying, I'm doing this because of my yes. The next thing is you got to bring it to community. If you, if you think you can do this on your own, you can't, right? You can't. You know, 100% of human beings God gave them a sex drive, right? And so you have to bring it to community that you can trust, not the community that's gonna push you over the edge. The community that's gonna, well, you're, you're off the cliff, man. I'm gonna try to pull you over, right? That kind of a community that you can open up with, you can talk with, you can ask real questions with. I have married good friends that I can ask sex questions to, and I trust them, right? 
And so you have to get that in your life. The next one is you have, you have certain needs in your life you have to get met. You, need, you have a need for intimacy, a need for connection, and a need for comfort. And sex will give you all of those in marriage. Outside of marriage, I already showed you, it'll destroy it. You have to get intimacy from people, friends, and God. You have to get connection where you feel known and people know you and you're vulnerable and vice versa. And you have to get comfort, reassured, soothed, be that for people, let them be that for you. I'm telling you, your lust will actually go down when these other needs in your life are getting fulfilled. When you have a community who loves you and takes care of you, your lust will actually begin to drop because you're getting your needs met, right? And finally, it's just this, you gotta get some practical boundaries, practical boundaries. Like not everyone thinks purity is only about the boundaries. That's why it's the last thing I'm talking about. Because the boundaries come from the yes. People think purity is just a bunch of rules and a bunch of boundaries that protect you. And it's like, no, that's, that's, that's the cherry on top at the end. Like everything else, there's the heart. But some practical boundaries is just, basically I just say, hey, if you can't do that, if, if your wife wouldn't be happy with you doing that with someone, don't do it, right? My wife would not be happy with me and this might seem legalistic and this is just me and my conviction. So I'm not, okay, so hear me out. These aren't necessarily sins, these are just boundaries I've made in my life to protect my yes, okay? So if you do this, I'm not saying it's a sin, no condemnation, nothing bad like that. But like, I don't drive women alone in the car with me, right? Because I'm like, my wife isn't, she might not be cool with that, right? Of like, why are you driving all this way alone with this woman in the car? And that's a personal boundary I just made. It's not a sin if you do. If you do, don't worry about it. There's situations where I still have because I needed to or whatever, but I try to make a habit where I don't because I want my life to still look like when I get married, does that make sense? Same with, uh, like, I, like I said, there's a few exception moments, but for the most part, I don't text women at like midnight or one in the morning or two in the morning, right? You know what I mean? Because it's like this late, late, late crazy hour because I'm not gonna be doing that when I'm married. Why are you texting that woman at one in the morning, you know? So don't make a habit of it now, right? You know, and so it's one of those things where I'm trying to make it when I get married, it's the least, it's, it's going to be culture shock, right? So least amount as possible in the sense of like, oh, now I can't drive people. Oh, now I can't text people. Oh, now I can't. No, align your life now, right? Does that make sense? So these aren't legalism. These aren't sins, nothing like that. I'm just saying practical boundaries to protect your heart, you know? Um, and so a lot of times too, like I just won't go on the computer after like 11 at night. I put my phone, Joel knows it's plugged in and it's in our bathroom, you know? Because if you're, if you're tired and you're vulnerable and your phone's right there, you can easily just start to look for stuff. And I'm like, no, I'm just going to put it in the other room. Not worth it. I bought an alarm clock, you know, <laughs> right? It's okay, you know? And so you got to come up with some practical boundaries, get community, and get an accountability partner that you can text and just be like, dude, I'm struggling. Can you pray for me? You know? Can you help me? I don't know. Well, don't find someone who's victorious in this area and reach out to them. You don't want like five people who all feel defeated by lust trying to encourage each other. It's like, they're all gonna be like, we're in this forever, this sucks. Like you struggled, I struggled too. We all just confess, we feel better because we're all struggling. It's like, no, find someone who's victorious. There's plenty of men and women who are victorious. Find them, talk to them, be like, dude, impart to me whatever you got, you know, because you've conquered this. I want to as well, you know. All right, guys, so... We're gonna take a moment now, and it's about 8.30, and we, first, I felt like God wanted to do just some ministry, and then if we have time, we might do small groups or not, 
Uh, we're not sure yet. We're just going to see what God does, you know. So, man, Patrick, can you put on some worship music? Take a moment. We're just going to we're just going to pray. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. I wanted. I felt like God said, "Give a moment for the restored hearts, for those restored memories, for those restored uh, crystalled memories to get get rid of those, all that stuff." Because the cross is enough to restore your purity. The cross is enough to take those rocks out, put that candy right back in to give to your future wife. But you got to do it with him and you got to give it to him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. So there's some of you who you've already done this with Jesus and that's great. Um, and some of you never have before. Wherever you're at, it's totally okay. And some of you, this for you is like, I just, I live a pure life, but I'm just struggling with lust. Uh, others of you, it's, I've really messed up um, to various degrees. I passed my conviction or I, I gave up my virginity. Whatever it is, there's so many different degrees of where you're at, but God's gonna talk to you right now. So begin to ask him, God, what part of my heart did I give away and what, what, what part do I need to be restored? And in your own words, start to say, God, I want, I want that pure heart again. I want that pure mind again. God, would you rewrite my, my past, those memories? Would you uncrystallize them, break them down? Get rid of them, God. And I want to invite whoever wants to. I felt, I felt like God said, the front altar, that's where sacrifices are made. That's where my, my junk is placed on the altar to be sacrificed before God. But altars are, altars are also where marriages are made. And so I felt like he said, invite them to the altar to give up their past and to recommit a marriage to me and a marriage of purity to me. So maybe we can turn up the worship music a little more and I'm just gonna invite anyone and everyone, whatever degree you're in, whether it's like I had a lustful thought, I need help, or whether it's I gave up everything and I need restoration. I wanna invite you to come forward, just lay it on the altar, give it up before God and ask him to restore you fresh. Wherever you're at, Holy Spirit, come. Jesus, restore us, God. Restore us, God. Yeah, guys, we're just gonna hang out here for the rest of the night. And so um, if you need to go, get going. No worries, early night. But for everyone else, we're just gonna keep ministering. God's doing something right here, right now with this. And we just, we need to press into it, okay? So you can keep worshiping, keep hanging out. But please honor what's happening in the front here. And um, we'll see you guys next week. We love you. Thank you for listening to the Crux Podcast Sermon of the Week. Be sure to visit summitsanmarcos.com for other exciting content from Summit Church.